Our first reading comes from Psalm 69. Psalm 69, a psalm that is uh, quoted uh, in our uh, text this morning. And we will read the first four verses that include that uh, quotation. Uh, As David makes this confession, you'll note that he's doing so because of zeal for the Father's house, which you'll see as well then that this is a type of our Savior praying here as well. And we read in verses 1 to 4, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk deep in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. And then John chapter 15. And so as to continue the flow, um, we will start in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things uh, they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, uh, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works of which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and now they've both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they've done this to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without cause. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord 
endures forever. Lord, as a servant looks to his master and a handmaid to her mistress, we now lift our eyes up unto you according to your ordinance and claiming your promise. And we ask now that according to that promise, you would speak to us through your servant in the preaching of your word. And your spirit would anoint both the one who preaches and open the ears of all who listen. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Perhaps you've known the uh, situation where a family reached out and uh, adopted a child out of just an awful situation and did everything they could for that child to, to nurture it and to care for it. Rear it to see it grow up, and as the child gets older, he hates them. You, you've known those cases. He just hated the very fact that they had adopted him. Uh, all that had only shown him goodness and kindness. They, they, he wanted nothing to do with them. And I, I've seen one or two situations like that, and perhaps you have as well. And that's a uh, maybe it's something you've experienced yourself. Uh, as David will confess, as you, if you read on uh, in the other place, this is quoted, quoted in Psalm 35, that he'd only done good to, the, to them, and he'd prayed for them, and, and uh, had dealt faithfully with them, and they hated him without cause. And maybe there's been those that have treated you that way as well, and spurned your love. But that's just a, a bare reflection, analogy, of... Happened to our Savior. You think of the prologue of John. He, he made the world. He comes into the world. He's the light of the world. And the world did not see him. He came to, to his own, the church. And the church did not receive him. Although he only came good. He only came loving. Uh, the, which God had sent him. And the world rejected him. And that underlies what we have in this text this morning as Christ through the Spirit speaks to us about the church's relationship to the world and to those uh, in the world. Uh, as the sermon title says, abiding in Christ in a world that opposes him. Um, and I, really, there's probably no more pertinent text of Scripture today in the days in which we live than w- what we're being taught here. So we're continuing through this series in the Upper Room Discourses, uh, John 14 through 16. I, I was thinking that we could actually uh, steal the title from, from Francis Schaeffer, How Shall We Then Live? How Shall We Then Live? Because what we have in John 14 through 16 is how is the church going to live in this age where we are between the ascension and Pentecost and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins uh, through the uh, apostles seeking to comfort us that we need not be fearful uh, for being left here. 
which is our business, perfecting heaven for us, so to speak, by perfecting us for heaven, seated there, pouring out his uh, blessings uh, on us. And then he gets to this issue of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because everything that he's doing in this age in which we live is through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. And so he wants us to know that uh, just as he and the Father are one, well, this Spirit is the another one like him, and thus he is also of and like the Father. And here, as I've mentioned, we probably have one of the most comprehensive statements about the Trinity in John 14 that we have in the Bible, where uh, are one and the one is uh, the three. So the Spirit, he says, will indwell us as we love him and keep his commandments. So what does that look like? Well, he moves in in chapter 15 uh, to to speak to us as those who are uh, abiding in Christ, to have the Spirit of Christ abiding in them, which, remember, is the triune God indwelling us as his temple corporately and privately. Well, then, how shall we live? We are to abide in Christ, and we are to bear fruit of holiness. Not talking to you about fruit of souls won to Christ or churches built up or different kind of fruit. Uh, and that fruit often can happen apart from the grace in the person whom God uses, like Judas or Demas. But the fruit of which he speaks here, remember, is the fruit of personal holiness. That Paul describes for us as the fruit of the Spirit. And love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. And so, as we come to this point where we now are abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, he, he deals in the section we began with particularly how we're to love one another in the body of Christ as we continue to pray together. But now he comes in our text, what's our relationship to the world? And our relationship to the world is quite tenuous. Our relationship to the world is going to be marked by hatred and persecution. Hatred of God persecutes the Christian because he's been called out of the world to serve Christ. The world, out of its blind hatred for God, persecutes Christian because he or she is called to serve Christ. We're going to look at the certainty of persecution, and we're going to look at causes of persecution that rise to the, the, the surface of this text. Well, Christ expresses the certainty of persecution uh, by... Um, speaking to us first of the fact that the world if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. I want to quote what he said to them in the upper room and earlier in, in Matthew chapter 10 as well. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Now, we identified the world yesterday as those uh, who live here, 
who are unregenerate, part of the evil kingdom. Uh, Satan is their God and master. They have a, a different character. They walk by a different set of principles, and they are absolutely wicked and unregenerate. Not as bad as they could be. And there'll be variations of evil in the world. But the factor here about the world, and you need to get this because you, you don't believe it, the world and those in the world, the unregenerate, hate you. Why? Well, Christ said, because they've hated me, you'll know that they hate you. Now, they're a bit schizophrenic. And so Solomon will tell us Proverbs that uh, uh, the city rejoices in the righteous. And uh, the, the world is at times uh, compelled to appreciate you because of what you do. Let me just ask you a very practical question. Now, the world mocked Pence because he said he would never go uh, to uh, a lunch or a dinner uh, with a, another woman without another, a third person there. And they, and they made great fun of him, didn't they? But let me ask you, would the world rather leave its daughter in the company of Mike Pence or Bill Clinton? It's pretty simple, isn't it? You see, they mocked him, and yet if it came to where the rubber hits the road, and you had to make a decision, uh, who's going to be the caretaker of my daughter? It would be a man like that. So yes, even as they hate us, they are compelled because they also live in the midst of wickedness to recognize that we are a leavening influence that is uh, quite beneficial. Now, it doesn't get rid of hatred, but it, uh, it makes them schizophrenic of how they, how they approach us. But now what Christ shows us here, he takes us the next step. And he shows us this relationship now of hatred and persecution. Because he goes on then to say that, um, remember, in, in verse 20, the word that I said to you, a slave is not waiting as a master, quoting uh, uh, 14, verse 16, in Matthew 10, 24, a slave is not waiting as a master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And here we see this relationship of hatred to persecution. Now, persecution is doing the things in its power to thwart and harm the Christian. And we need to understand that Paul says in First Timothy, uh, or in Second Timothy three twelve, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is an, an absolute fact of Scripture. That is a divine uh, statement that, that is absolutely true. Now, the world hates you. The world is going to persecute you. But now, as we sit here today, obviously we'll have the objection, but we're not being persecuted. You personally, maybe you're not being persecuted. And at this point, uh, the church in our country is not being uh, persecuted. So how do you account for this hatred that persecutes and the fact that right now we're not being persecuted? Well, uh, common grace of God is the primary reason. We, we live 
it's a post-Christian culture where we live, and this is why we're seeing a great change taking place in the world's attitude toward us. This country, with its Christian principles over the years, uh, has had great restraint. So even those in the world who are unregenerate and who hate the church um, have lived in a culture that um, that hatred and persecution has been suppressed. And you need to understand that. To the church in the West and to our, or our, our country, uh, a great restraint that is of God's sovereignty. And so even as that restraint is here, all we have to do is look around and in the um, Muslim countries or North Korea or, or China, uh, countries in Latin America, and see that there's not restraint there. In fact, I've read on many occasions, you know, more people are being put to death simply in our age than throughout the entire history of the church up to now. So that restraint is not in other places, but we still have it. And for that reason, we're not living right today under the awful reality of this text. But unless, as the pastor prays, there is revival, we are going to live under the full reality of this text. That's why I believe this text is so important for us today as we think how we then uh, shall live. Now, there's another reason as well, and I want to save that for uh, the first cause. So how then does the world persecute us? Well, we can say passively, personally, and publicly. If you're in Christ, the, the passive persecution, which is basically uh, the sneer or the contempt, um, not wanting you on uh, their team, so to speak. Um, ignoring. Um, and we all, to some degree, probably have experienced that in, in the workplace and in school and in social uh, situations as well. So even when we're not experiencing the kind of persecution that brothers and sisters are around the world, we, most of us have had that. Uh, but there is the personal uh, persecution, and that is where they will heap openly upon you some contempt. Uh, and would slander you or lie about you or mock you and seek to degrade you around others. Now, one of the difficulties here is that we all some of this happens in the church, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that those in the church that are doing this are unconverted, but at that point, if they slander us on social media, tell lies about us, uh, try to run down our character... They're like, acting like whom? The unconverted. They're acting uh, like followers of Satan. And uh, we pray that God would bring them to light. That, you know, you are, you're acting like the world when you personally attack other Christians. And it's important for us to keep in mind as well, if we don't agree with a person's theology, just don't attack his person. And particularly not attack his person in a public or gossip. We may attack his theology and do so with humility. But not his person, unless he's living wickedly and then 
passively, personally, and then, of course, there's the public persecution. And this is right, we're on the cusp of this right now. Perhaps some of you saw on the Wall Street Journal or media last week the uh, Christian who now, I think his case will go to the Supreme Court service, um, who is compelled against his conscience to work on the Lord's Day. Now, he's been over back. He's worked overtime shifts. He's worked holiday shifts. He's, I'll do anything you want me to do. He, and this, we often need to do this in the world, and that is to deny ourselves for the sake of the truth of the gospel. But they're getting worse and worse in pressing him to have to do this. And even he loses his job. He had to, he had to resign. Uh, and, and we're seeing this more and more of this uh, public persecution where increasingly Christians are going to have difficulty uh, holding down jobs, uh, not just because of the Sabbath, but because of issues of liberty or merely because, as I said uh, Friday night, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That's no longer publicly acceptable. Anything else is publicly acceptable. And so we are now on the cusp of this where in Canada and in, although a case was won in Northern Ireland, but now you can't even, you know, say I don't believe in same-sex marriage, so no, I'm not going to be a photographer at your wedding. It's not because of your other inclination. I don't believe in it. Or I'm not going to make your wedding cake. You're the evil. And of course, Laura Lewis pointed us to of the bad. This is the public persecution. But it can become much worse. You realize that. We could, uh, in the attitude today, you could lose your tax privileges simply because you're a Christian. Now, that's been a nice thing God's given us. So, would you give him the church change if no longer you had that nice action because you gave to the Lord's work? Would you give regardless if you lose that? So, we can imagine just all kinds of things. It come to the point where. Where, again, as in more countries, we couldn't even assemble. I got a little taste of it. Put the church under the heel. We're not there, but I want you to see the clouds that are there. When I talk about the certainty of persecution, don't sleep at the wheel. Two certainty of persecution in this text of Scripture. And the first cause is that Christ has um, called us out of the world to identify with him. He's called us out of the world to serve him. And so as he unpacks this hatred, he says in verse 19, if you were of the world, well, the world would love its own. Because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world because of this. The world hates you. And he puts it positively in verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. So you put it together. You've been called out of the world to identify with Christ. And because you identify with Christ, you then are going to suffer. So the world hates you because... You've been separated from the world. Perhaps you've been in that situation, sometimes really involved in some intense group, um, committed to 
some really important cause to the group, and suddenly your views change, or you decide, what's that what my you separate yourself from the group. Oftentimes, there's a huge reaction against you. Animosity. Now, they can't understand now why you would change your convictions and, and why you would um, uh, walk away from the cause. That's just an insight of what happens. You were in the world unless you were born in the church. And again, boys and girls, listen to me and understand this. This is one of the great privileges you have. You've been born in the church. You weren't born in the world, so yes, I'm not talking about the physical world, but you've, you've been born in the midst of God's covenant people with precious promises and an environment that's very different. But a lot of us here, and your parents, and what else, we were born in the world. And Christ took us out of the world, and even if you are a covenant child, when he regenerates you, he takes your heart away from any kind of spiritual, world spiritual domination and makes it his own. But Christ has taken us out of the world. Now, what does he say? That is why the world hates you. So here's the second cause that I want you to think about quite seriously. Does the world really recognize you're different? Does it have any reason to hate you? I don't want you to be obnoxious or anything. But remember how we put it yesterday that um, we love these people in the world and we will have friends in the world, but principle one is we exercise that friendship on our terms and not theirs. We're not going to hang out with them uh, where they're doing sinful things. But more, more importantly, as I said yesterday, the greatest environment in which you live is not the world. It's with God's people. And that you have some friends in the world and you might do some things with them, but never it's neglect of God's people, of Christian fellowship, certainly not neglect of worship. And... Um, it's possible you're not being converted because they don't see Christ in you. He says it's, it's for my name's sake, but do you live in front of your friends for his name's sake? Are you really different from the world? Again, not obnoxiously, but in terms of the things at which you would laugh, your values, your time. Are they comfortable around you? Because if they're comfortable around you, then, and you spend much time with them, there's probably problems there. Not always. But you need to be sure in your own heart it's, the problem's not in you because they don't really see the difference. So that's, that's the first cause, that because we've been called out of the world by Christ, by sovereign grace, and then as he speaks here to the apostles by the fact they actually chose them, Actively, which he has us then in our effectual calling and brought us into union with him. So for his name's sake, he's called us out of the world uh, into union with him. And that's why they hate you. Why? Because they hate him. If they've hated the master, will they not hate the servant? You see, his logic is irrefutable. 
And so that's the, that's the first cause then. Now, the second cause is uh, even more serious and gets really to the heart of the issue of this hatred, and that is because of their blind hatred of God. So Jesus starts in verse 21, All these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I have not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Verse 24, If I have not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. So Jesus, when he talks about they would not have sin, he's not saying they wouldn't be sinners. It's very similar to what he says earlier uh, to some of the Pharisees in John chapter 9 after he healed the man who was blind from, from birth. And in verse 40, the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. This is the guilt of rejecting the Messiah. So when he says that uh, they've heard my teaching uh, and have not heeded it, they sin. They've seen my works and have not heeded them, they sin. He's talking about the guilt of rejecting Christ as Savior. And we think of the preposterous nature of that rejection. Um, He taught with a glorious compassion, but also authority. Remember how the, what the response was in the Sermon on the Mount? When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. This is a remarkable fresh wind that was blowing. And his words were only light. Uh, and he always was tender and compassionate as he would teach the poor people who would cling uh, to him. Uh, but more importantly, as he challenges them in John chapter 5, is that search the scriptures. You've got Moses. Examine my teaching. Have I said anything that's not in the Old Testament? As we heard, the, the law and the prophets. It's all there, and Christ had nothing to teach that was in any way contrary to Because what did he say in John chapter 5? Uh, Matthew 5, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So his teaching was authoritative, it was winsome and compassionate, it was consistent with Scripture, and they hated it. Why? Well, as we see, it's because of this blind hatred of God that they had. Uh, But it's even more amazing if you think about his miracles. Did any of Jesus' enemies think he was a fraud in terms of being a miracle worker? It just it boggles the mind. They knew he worked miracles because they would use the miracles to be a means of test. So when they wanted to trick him up on the Sabbath, um, they put a man in the midst of the synagogue, and they, they knew two things about our Savior. He was compassionate. <laughs> he was not going to allow the, the hurting to continue to suffer. And he could do something about it. They knew he... And as the blind man, as he grew in his grasp of 
his sight got better and better. You know, no man who's a sinner can do what he's done. And a little peasant man recognized that. He never read a word of Scripture. But he said, they've seen my works. They've seen my works and hated me. Now what is the basis of this guilt of rejecting the Messiah? Well, it's the blind hatred of God. So again, look at the paragraph. They do not, in verse 21, they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates the Father. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have have sinned, this guilt of rejecting the Messiah. But now they've both seen and hated me and my Father as well. Now here, in a sense, he's completing the circle. We started with this hatred of Christ. Thus, we're hate. But now he goes in the direction. Because if they've seen him, they've seen the Father. If they knew him, they knew the Father. Why do they hate him? Because they hate God the Father. It's that simple. And that is true with every person in the world. Every unconverted person has this blind ignorance, self-induced ignorance that comes out of a blind hatred of God. And that is enforced then from the Exodus two quotation, I mean two passages that Christ quotes in verse 25. Now they've done this to fulfill the word, not that in order that it could be fulfilled, but because this had been prophesied about the Messiah by David, who was God's appointed type of the Messiah. So twice, as we read in Psalm 69, um, written in their law, uh, they hated me without a cause. In Psalm 69, it was because of his zeal for the righteousness of God. And in Psalm 35, um, verse 19, do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. And in that context, he's going about doing good. You see, with the life of the Savior and uh, the life of David. But it's the hatred of God. Now, a lot of people today, probably the great majority of the people in the world, at least within the context of the West, if you said to them, you hate God, I don't hate God. Would you hate his son? I don't hate his son. Well, then you have taken hold of him according to the promises of the gospel. And you've repented and and you've believed in him and and you agree in free grace that God would take you. I didn't say that. Well, you did say that because you just told me you didn't hate Christ. If you refuse Christ on these most wonderful terms, it would be like a person coming to you, no strings attached, they were an enemy, and they offered you $100,000, and because of your enmity, your hatred, you rejected it. That's what goes on. There's enmity behind every rejection of Christ. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. And you think, well, you know, I'm, no, I don't hate God. You do hate God. You hate Christ. And that hatred is only going to grow and boil over. 
Nobody is ever neutral. There's no neutrality. There's a, a war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Nobody's in no man's land. What does our Savior say? Um, if you do not love me, you are against me. If the love of the world is in you, then the love of God, you're not in the love of God in, in 1 John chapter 2. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So, this is a very serious warning to anyone here today who is not trusting Christ, who would reject being accused of being a hater of God. But you are, and left unbridled by the Spirit, your enmity will break out in increasingly sordid ways. Because this is the nature of the life of the Christian in the world, the nature of the world in which the Christian lives. And so the world, because of its blind hatred of God, persecutes the Christian because Christ has called him out of the world into his service. I know you're convinced about the certainty of persecution. And I hope you're convinced about the first cause, which might be why you're not being persecuted, but know that it is going to happen. And the ultimate cause This is going to only increase if Christ does not subdue those around us because they hate him. This answers the question that sometimes we're asked, and that is, well, are we praying to the same God the Jews are? No. Just because they use the name Jehovah, they don't know him. Christ said, if you know me, you know the Father. He says, if you hate me, you hate the Father. Uh, No monotheism is the true God. Only the triune God who alone is God, is the true God. And we must, just as we don't compromise on the exclusivity of Christ, there's no other way to the Father, but there's no other God but the triune God. And then, as we reflect on this sermon, we need to be prepared as we live in this age. Uh, Don't be ignorant and naive. Uh, Prepare yourselves, prepare Prepare your hearts. Burrows in, in the rare jewel of Christian contentment says, when you're in good times, you use those times to prepare for bad times. Store up, yes, God's been so kind to me, and, and uh, be full, full of gratitude and trust so that when perhaps those things are taken from you, you will have grace then to um, endure. Because you see, endurance is very important. So when Christ first gives this thing, if... The servant's not greater than the master. He's talking there about persecution. He's talking about families turned against families. He says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Finishing well is very difficult. And yet God calls us by grace to finish well. In Christ, trusting him. Trusting his promises, but using the means of grace. And, and let, teaching your children the means of grace, but also teaching your children that we live in a very rarefied environment right now. And also then teach them in yourselves heart compassion for brothers and sisters who are already experiencing the full wrath of Satan as God allows it around the world. But now as we come to the Lord's table, we are promised the grace and strength that we need to endure to the end. And here we're reminded that Christ has done everything necessary for not just our 
justification, adoption, but for our sanctification, for the cleansing from the daily defilement of sin, the strength to endure to the end. He's given us everything that we need. And so let us come now and take advantage of that which he's given as we live in a uh, a sin-darkened world. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we uh, thank you that as the Savior prepares his church to live in this age, that the words are full of comfort and strength and joy and certainty, and we live in the wonderful, mighty assurance of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of the triune God in our hearts and in our churches. And we thank you, Lord. We pray that you will spare us the persecution that, uh, of which you speak here, that we will uh, uh, see this revival, this reformation. But Lord, we also recognize that our country is under awful judgment and the slaughtering of innocents every day, of the awful uproar against men and women who say it's wrong to kill babies in the womb. And our, our land is polluted with blood, Lord, and we know that if you do not Spare us by grace that you're going to judge our country and oftentimes then, as you tell us through Peter, judgment begins in the household of God. And if this country becomes as wicked as, as it could be, Lord, that we then will be the brunt, the objects of that hatred. Protect us, Lord. Keep us. But by all means, give us the grace that we need. And may each one here today examine himself to be sure that He's not uh, reflecting the world's attitude rather than uh, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.